0: Hello and welcome to the North American Guitars Talking Guitar Podcast. I'm your host Ben and in today's session we catch up with the one and only Mr. Michael Bashkin. Michael and I have been working with each other now for the past seven years and have become great friends along the way and I am a huge fan of his instruments. Uh, It was wonderful for him to be the interviewee for once rather than always being the interviewer Uh, and of course that led us nicely onto the success of his Brilliant podcast, Luthier on Luthier. Uh, We also spoke about his love for traditional tone woods and the joy of uh, the custom order process. It was a truly wonderful conversation and we even managed to get his Desert Island guitar out of him by the end of it. We really hope that you enjoy this podcast. He's a truly inspirational man and a dear friend. We really hope that you enjoy this one. Have a great day and thanks very much. So let me just say thank you so much for joining us on the Talking Guitar podcast Um, and what's wonderful about this is that you are finally the one on the other side of the podcast, it's not you hosting the podcast.
1: True enough, well (laughs) we'll see who who ends up asking the questions.
0: Yeah well exactly, man I don't really know where to start, well first of all how are you, how you been, how you been? to coping with the whole COVID-19 situation and...
1: Uh, well, thankfully, um, I, I've been fine. My family's good. And, you know, as long as we don't talk about uh, COVID or politics, uh, this will be a pleasant conversation. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, you know, uh, business is, is fine. Everybody in this business seems to have experienced... Uh, a good, good level of interest, maybe even an uptick in interest because people are home playing guitar. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but on the other hand, a lot of other parts of the music industry are, are really hurting. I, I had lunch yesterday with a, a sound guy, and he said, uh, you know, everybody, uh, people who haul in and out amps, you know, lighting, techs, uh, venues, they're they're hurting so hopefully uh you know we can move get over this in a safe way and and um start hearing live music again i
0: know right which is what it's all about i mean they're just the missing i missed a a bunch of festivals i was going to be going to a good friend of mine owns and runs a festival that we go to every year called the isle of Wight festival and uh yeah we it was we weren't able to attend it and you know just a real you know so many i was actually speaking to a friend of mine he's also a customer who is um he is in these uh sort of tribute acts but they're sort of like um, uh-huh. really great tribute acts um and uh one of the things he does is a thing called the classic rock show and <clears throat> yeah he's just I called him and said, "Hey, how are you getting on?" He said, "It's you know, another day of the same. I'm just itching to get back out on the road." Yeah. Uh, but I think that you know, to look at it from a positive spin, to try to see the positive in in this for for that you know, especially for musicians, it's made people really have to think outside of the box. Like I was talking to this guy the other day, um, a chap called Bruce, uh, who has a school in Brighton, actually I was talking to somebody on, on, the, on a podcast, um, to Roy Dowling on, the, on another podcast
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and um, this guy Bruce, he, uh, he put this thing up on Facebook um, and it was a musician of his, that a, a teacher musician that teaches at the college um, and he had this whole gig system where he was almost like he was going on a virtual tour and yeah. you play in front of a certain amount of people and they all pay their ticket money. And then throughout the show, they could tip. And then at the end of the show, he could do, he was do a zoom and there was merchandise things. And so, you know, people thinking outside of the box in order to, you know, keep the income coming in. So um, that's kind of cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. i definitely tuned in to uh, some live Instagram concerts, uh, a couple of Facebook concerts, um, I know a couple professional guitar players who, you know, they're giving more lessons online. So mm. yeah, they're, I guess, doing what they need to, to make it work. <laughs> um, and so how's it, because last time I saw you, I know
0: we always, we always have our annual get together at NAMM, um, where you're normally running around the NAMM show, uh, interviewing everybody for yeah. fabulous podcasts. Um. So, how have you been since then? Because previous to that, you you come and we'd done an interview at the uh, at the old showroom in London.
1: Well, uh, you know, I've been good. I I've, I have uh, two teenage daughters. Uh, they keep me very busy. In fact, uh, one just graduated high school and she's going off to college. Hopefully, so um, that's that's exciting. But it's it's been you know busy personal times. And um, I've had a couple changes in my business where I'm doing a whole lot less repair work these days, uh, almost nil, um, you know, I, I still do some Martin warranty work. It took me years to get certified for a Martin warranty. So um, it's not something that I I want to give up. I, I'm i a big fan of Martin guitars and, you know, every once in a while I get a call and it's it's not a big issue, so and uh the reason that i've been doing a whole lot less repair work is because the custom guitar orders have been good so i've been you know dedicated to that and uh yeah getting getting more builds out the guitar having some fun with some new ideas i i just um, got a new model called the jm model which is a uh, kind of a version of a guitar that fills a slot between my OM, which is a medium sized guitar and my SJ, which is my largest guitar. So this is kind of meant to have some of the balance of the OM with some of the low end presence of the SJ. And um, I just completed my first one back in May. And the second one just went to the spray booth now, along with a couple other guitars. For they are they going out for customers? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amazing.
0: I remember you actually talking about that model previously yeah. we selling it.
1: Yeah, well, I have, uh, it's, it's interesting because when you look at the uh, kind of a survey of OM model guitars, you realize that um, everybody's talking about something fairly different. You mm-hmm. know, To some people, an OM is a 15 inch across the lower valve guitar. And other people make an OM, but theirs is 15 and three quarters. Um, so I'm uh, I'm more of the camp of an OM is a closer to a 15 inch guitar, and so I wanted a model that uh, you know w- was a little bit a little bit bigger, and a lot of the voice that fingerstyle players are going after these days um, seems to be one that is weighted towards the low end. So I was looking for something that uh, had the capacity to have a little bit um, bigger low end, especially for drop tunings. So
0: how do you get How do you approach a customer who comes to you and says, well, let me rephrase that. How do you take in a customer's tonal goals? and try to dial that into your builds and knowing, do you get customers say, this is what I'm going for. I want something airy, big, powerful, blah, 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 blah. These are the tomas that I like. And do you then recommend the body shape for them or do they come to you and say, I want an OM or I, or I want a SJ or, or whatever?
1: Well, uh, I get both, but you know, for example, if, um, you know, often there's more than just sound that dictates the model, because uh, often there's comfort or ergonomic issues, and some people just don't want to go larger than a medium-sized guitar. And um, so that that's, you know, something that needs to be discussed up front, because you may spend a lot of time talking about tone, and then, you know, they'll tell you they want a huge low end, but it can't be anything larger than a 15-inch guitar. So, and in that case, you know, there's ways to kind of push and pull the the model based on the woods and how it's voiced to, you know, emphasize the bass in an OM guitar or emphasize the mids or the trebles or to try and get a flat response. But the, the, the most important thing is to really listen to the customer. You know, sometimes it takes some interpretation, uh, to understand what they're really asking for. Um, Sometimes it's very helpful to, um, you know, listen to the same recording of a guitar that you may have out on the web and discuss that. You know, what are you hearing? What am I hearing? Um, And sometimes it's even good to have, you know, played the same guitar uh, so that you have a, a common baseline so that you know your vocabulary is is uh is similar and when we talk about you know warmth we're both talking about the same thing and if uh if i have a guitar you know that i think is let's just say bright sounding but they think it's warm then i'll kind of recalibrate you know how i think about how i think they're thinking about tone <laughs> if that makes sense so
0: it does it, it's such a i had the same conversation. I literally before i jumped on this, um podcast with you i was chatting to a customer in canada and
1: mm.
0: we're having the you know he was asking many questions about a, an instrument that we've got in, in the shop and you know knowing the attributes of what a coca bolo wood can do or, or a cedar top can do and you, uh, you know i say you know, at the end of the day we know roughly what the tonal attributes of these woods are but it is still subjective, it is still your ear, it is still you what, how you define that, and so
1: yeah, and if you can only
0: guide you right, but it's and always going to be my my what my ears are
1: hearing and what my hands are feeling, you know so absolutely, and if you fail to recognize that, then uh, you know you, you may be in for a, a lot longer conversations and maybe even not a successful commission, so. Yeah, it's it's really important to listen. And what's really what the thing
0: that there's always one conversation that you and I had, and it was, and, and I've referred to it on so many other interviews or conversations with customers, and it was the that very beautiful OM in Maple that you delivered. Um,
1: mm-hmm. I think it was last year or the year before last. It was about a year and a half ago.
0: Yeah, and it went and it went out to a great customer in Belgium. And um, I remember receiving that guitar and being like playing it with those what I thought Maple was gonna do in my head, and going to the guitar and playing it, and then suddenly being like, "This is all wrong. <laughs> this is this isn't how I think this guitar should sound." It had warmth and it had depth. It wasn't just really sort of bright and crispy and you know zingy. Um, yeah. It had all those attributes, but had, and, I, and I remember saying to you what, why is how has that happened you know because it's it 's nat it's it 's very noticeably different and you you said i I drive the wood to to do what i what I wanted to do, so you, you wanted that particular OM to have a bit more sort of mids and a bit more presence in the low end, and that always that stuck with me like how do you and I guess that comes back that you don't rely on what the tonewood is naturally gonna do. You help, the, you let the tonewood help your sound. Is that, does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I, it makes sense. That, right, it's, it's a philosophy of my approach. And I, I'm sure I'm not alone in this, but you, know, you can either view tonewoods as you're gonna take what you get from the tonewood, you know, what it has to offer, or you want to take the tonewood and kind of, you know, push it in a certain direction. And that's where I think the real subtleties of of voicing uh, come in and not just selecting, you know, a, a set of maple, it's selecting the right set of maple because, you know, there's often just as much variation within a species as there is between species and that's really critical to understand. And again, that comes back to listening to the customer. You know, yes, they may want an Italian Alpine spruce top, but which Alpine Italian spruce top do they want? You know, do they want something that's um, generally on the tail end of the distribution in terms of stiffness, but yet has a lot of uh, cross grain flexibility, or you know, do they want something that's more of the prototypical? uh, Italian Alpine spruce tops. So, um, and by, you know, re- recognizing that variability within a species, it does help you drive the, using the wood to drive the the sound that you hopefully will get out of the guitar that you want in your head because, you know, anybody can make a guitar. and um, but it's really about, successfully executing the um, the design, the crafts, um, the design, the ex- execution of the craftsmanship, and the materials that gets you the tone that you have in your head before you even start building.
0: And, and that, re- I mean, I think that, that kind of summarizes you perfectly as a builder. You know, you are a um, an artist within the design that you do uh, with your headstocks and engrafts and rosettes and they, and people, they have inspired so many luthiers. And that must be an incredibly, I mean, how's that feel to know that you, when you must see work and hear podcasts and people mm-hmm. say, oh yeah, I, I draw a huge amount of inspiration from, from Michael because you have that, you have that very clean line. And it's all very subtle um, and that was the first the, the, I think the thing when I first saw and played one of your instruments that, you know, I was in awe of really was the fact that your, the, the, the work with, especially with the graft rosettes has are so intrinsic that I, how, you know, that's just one element of your instruments. It's the, and the tone and the signature tone and driving the woods is like a whole other thing. So how does it feel when you hear these younger
1: luthiers using you as a, as inspiration and, to what they're doing? Uh, well, feels nice, you know. <laughs> I, I, I'd like, I, not only does it have my guitars appreciated by the people who own them and the people who want to own them, but certainly by other builders. Uh, you know, uh, often uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm more comfortable talking to other guitar builders than, than I am to my customers because I, I love to talk shop. And, uh, you know, if somebody gets an idea uh, from looking at one of my guitars then then i think that's great so i mean I, I certainly look at a lot of other builders guitars and it's interesting because you know i could rattle off some names that we'd all be familiar with you know they're incredibly creative guitar builders and i'm not necessarily inspired by their designs because it's not it's not me it's not you know, something that I would do on my guitar, but I so love that they're doing it. And I'm just excited to see the creativity and and what they're doing it. And that's what inspires me to, you know, be at my bench and build the best guitars that I can. Um, You know, one thing that's been interesting for me lately is that uh, I, you know, I, I feel like after 25 years of building, you know, I sort of have some established visual signatures and, you know, some of them I've been doing for 20 years. And to me, you know, they, they get, at this point, they get kind of a little bit, um, maybe the like the novelty is worn off, the, fresh, the freshness of the design is worn off. But uh, when I talk to other people, maybe, you know, they feel differently about it. Please don't think that. Please don't think that. Please, please do (laughs) not ever think that. (laughs) But, you know, there's a little bit of like, I always want to, you know, kind of keep moving forward a bit. I mean, there's some things about my guitars that I I may never change uh, in terms of the aesthetics. But um, yeah, that always kind of keeps me going a little bit, not wanting to do necessarily the same thing guitar after guitar. And some things it's really about um, you know I, I think of it as like a, an iterative process or an evolution of a design idea where you know it's small changes you know improvements every time and um, you know refining and refining and refining it until you know you're you're done polishing the, the gem that hopefully you have do you, and do you think that
0: um... And knowing knowing you, I already know the answer to this. But do you um, are you there yet? Do you think you've refined it to the place where you're? Because last time I spoke to you, you were saying, "Can you play this? Just play this guitar." And then we had Stuart come in and played it, and you were like, and "I said, well, what's it like when you hear a phenomenal, you know, artist play one of the your instruments? You're like, it's amazing." But then I just think I could have done a little bit more there, or I could have gone a bit, you know, and is it. Are you ever going to, is that ever going to go? Do you think are you ever gonna, uh, you're ever going to, you always trying to reach for that goal, that tone, is it, do you ever tick the box? You would say, I did it on that
1: guitar. Um, no, I mean, why, why would I ever be a hundred percent satisfied? Because when you think about the, the idea of perfection, you know, it's, it's really a, it's a goal that. Is really more about being along the path towards perfection, uh, because, I mean, I, w- what is perfect? You know that is that is subjective in and of itself. But I've never built a guitar where I feel like this is absolutely perfect. I wouldn't change a thing, and I'm just gonna turn the crank and keep building the exact same guitar over and over. If if that was, um, if that happened, I, you know, I think there's the risk of, of. Uh, complacency and um at that point i don't know i i don't think i would find guitar building interesting anymore of course of course and and
0: when you're talking about the the younger luthiers that that come through and and what's it like seeing i you've been doing you've been building for 25 years Mm -hmm. how the industry has changed and how there's do you think that there's it's a it's a exciting time at the moment with, with so many Luthiers out there?
1: I really do. I really do. I, you know, one of the things that I've, I've just grown to accept <laughs> is that, um, the, there's a very high talent level and the learning curve has been greatly compressed by, uh, the interconnectedness that we all have in the of availability of the information through uh, the internet and just more information even through non-internet sources, you know, uh, books, videos, uh, picking up the phone, talking to people, just the sheer number of guitar builders out there. And so, you know, there's a lot more uh, ideas in the hopper, both tonally and aesthetically and using woods. And one of the great things about there being a lot of, a lot of guitar builders is that you know the the craft as a whole, I think is healthier and it's it's getting pushed. You know because yes, you know generally sure we we all get along and everybody's nice and treats each other with respect. But you know we all kind of want to show up and uh, <laughs> you know have, have the best guitar in the room. And I'm not I'm not saying that I've ever felt that way, like my guitar is you know superior to everybody else's. Um, I, but what it does is it, you know, a little bit of competition, I think, is good for uh, a guitar builder. A Health, healthy sense of competition. Yeah, yeah. Raise the bar on every, you know. And, yeah. And yeah. When you go to a I, show like the Woodstock Show,
0: it, mm-hmm. and of course we were there, uh, you know, like, was it last year we
1: were there? The before That was two it? years yeah. ago. Yeah.
0: Um, you know, the bar is so high. You yeah, know, walk around something like that, and it's just like wow. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But yet, yeah, what is lovely is you have your customers and your buyers that are going to these shows for a particular tone in their head, or a particular style of instrument, or a particular build they've been following, or like um videos that they've, they've watched online be it ours or dream or whoever, whoever else, um, and I remember hearing at the Laconia show uh, somebody. I was, talking, I was talking with Chris and Jeremy from Lame Horse, and uh, this this person said, "I've come all the way across the country just to play one of your guitars." And I thought, "Wow, that's an amazing, an amazing thing! Like all this high level of craftsmanship and people coming from all over the world just to sort of play and meet you and talk to you face to face." That's um, that's an amazing thing. And that's something that, you know, We obviously we just got the announcement today about the Whistle show not going ahead, which is so sad. Um, how important do you feel that shows are to our
1: community? I think they're pretty important, but they're not critical in the sense that if we don't have shows that, uh, you know, the, the custom guitar market is gonna, gonna crash and burn and. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's healthy enough on its own without shows that it'll it'll be fine and it'll keep going. But certainly, uh, the guitar shows, for the reasons that you've listed, the interaction between customer and builder, you know, the chance to play all these guitars back to back, you know, that's that's always a net positive, you know, for the the business as a whole. So. You know hopefully uh we can get back to guitar shows and in, in the not too distant future but who knows
0: yeah it's a it's a strange one isn't it um, yeah. and um we two parts to this question so obviously you are um you're a big advocate of, of of the alternate tone words so you you love you love going outside the box and you've uh, we've had many conversations about this and um When did you first of all fall in love with the idea of what woods are and can do and um, how there are so many different species? Because I know that you studied at university. Mm -hmm. Um, And have there been times when you have tried an alternative wood that is not of the same species, not a Dalbertia or whatever, but has the same attributes? And if so, what? I yeah. uh, want an
1: example, can you give me an example of that? Sure, uh, it's, it's a big question, and, I'll, I'm <laughs> gonna try and I'm gonna try and stay on track here, but I'll start with the first part of your question, which is when did I start to think about alternative woods? And actually, I'm gonna go back a little bit earlier, and I'm, I'm gonna push back um, on your initial premise a little bit in that um, I would say, yes, I've used alternative tone woods, I'm an advocate of using alternative tone woods, but I use a lot of traditional woods in my guitars. Uh, I do, and um, I, I like using traditional tone woods. Uh, and there's a you know there's a demand for those from my customers, um, and it's something that I've really had to wrestle with uh, morally because you know there are definitely um, uh, issues environmental issues about using these rare and precious woods and um, I think that uh, I, I've thought quite a quite a lot of bit about this and uh, for me personally I think it's okay to use these woods uh, for a couple of reasons one is that the the if you look at the total use of woods um, in the guitar industry, and I'm not just talking about you know the the market that we're in, but if you include you know fender martin Gibson taylor um, it is it is less than a tenth of the percent of the wood that's uh, tropical hardwoods that are um, you know exported commercially every every year uh, and I didn't realize that percentage was so small until I actually really looked into. Uh, the, the trade numbers that are available through the, um, United Nations, uh, Food and Agriculture Organization. So, um, and so, I think in terms of personal responsibility about using these woods, um, you know, the fact that guitar builders are such small users, um, that, that, uh, absolves of some responsibility, but it by no means absolves all responsibility and in the sense that uh, you know, guitar builders, the guitar industry, it, it's, uh, uh, it's a very high profile. So in other words, we can kind of punch above our weight class in terms of bringing this issue to the forefront. And you know, one of the models that has been successful in terms of conservation of both plants and wildlife throughout the world is that the people who use these uh, resources Okay, and, and by I mean resources, I mean trees. Uh, they actually take a proactive um, uh, approach to managing and conserving them uh, for future generations. So uh, for me, I like to use traditional tone woods. Um, I still buy them, and, but I also um, uh, take an active role in their conservation and their management. And uh, well, you know, how do you do that? Well, the first and most important thing is to vote. You know, I'd say vote your conscience on these issues. Um, And you can support policies that uh, are, you know, risk, that uh, really help with the responsible and sustainable management, you know, of these species that you're interested in. Uh, The other thing I do is that every time I build a guitar, I Um, give money to an organization that plants tropical trees. And they're not, it's not necessarily that, you know, I'm not necessarily know that I'm planting rosewood trees, but I am planting trees in tropical forests. And, you know, from a broad ecosystem perspective, the species of the tree uh, isn't quite as critical as say, you know, the fact that it is a tree or trees and trees are, have numerous you know, ecosystem functions, they um, uh, purify water, they take in carbon, um, they provide wildlife habitat, you know, some trees more than others, but again, um, you know, planting trees, I, I think for a guitar builder and voting, um, you know, and supporting policies that advocate for the, uh, the responsible and sustainable use of this resource is, is what's good. Now you, know that you did that all right now i've I've
0: completely that's, um, that's amazing I don't want you to lose your track trail mm. that is incredible I did not know
1: that you did that okay so uh well i you know I, I I'm not here I don't want to tell people where to put their money but I would say that there are several organizations that plant trees uh, that do good work uh, world uh, world wildlife fund um, dot org so uh, you know, look into it. Think about it. If you if you build with these woods or you buy guitars with these woods, then you know take a take a role in their in their management and their future. So I, I think it's a it's a something that we can all do. That's fantastic. Yeah. All right. So back to your alternative tone woods thing. <laughs> yes, I I especially when I was newer, I was really interested in you know some more non traditional tone woods. Uh, for me you know they weren't necess- necessarily um, a business success you know I, I didn't really get a lot of demand for these woods and you know we could talk about i understand why you know it's a little bit of an unknown they don't necessarily have the same collectability but one of the great things about you know the all the new builders uh, is that you know I, I think that they're they're kind of at the forefront of not of using alternative tone woods, but also using alternative materials. Um, I think that there's you know, some really good possibilities of you know, a 3D printed top. If you can 3D print an organ, um, and I'm not talking about a keyboard, I'm talking about a human organ, then maybe you can, you can uh, successfully engineer a material Uh, to maybe even have better physical characteristics than the wood. Uh, There's some companies that have had, I think, some success with this. Um, There was a company called Blackbird Guitars that was using a a linen flax, uh, kind of composite type material, and the guitars were nice. And, you know, and we're all familiar with carbon fiber guitars. And so, you know, I I think there's a lot of interesting work that, that can be done in that area. So. And I'd, I'd, you know, I'd love to see it happen. And, and, uh, but, am I going to stop building wood guitars? Um, no, expletive way. Uh, I, <laughs> you know, I love the, I love handling wood. I, I love feeling like it has a, you know, a history to it, and, and maybe a, you know, a story beyond that. And, um, you know, uh, we've, we've actually, we've actually got a. We've got a custom build coming up for
0: a customer next year mm-hmm. who is building with a set of Brazilian rosewood. And it's and there's a great story behind that set. You're saying that it was, you. It, I can't remember exactly what it was. But you said to me that you, you found this set or it, it would have been...
1: Oh, uh, okay. I didn't, I wasn't sure you were talking about me. I'm glad you are. <laughs> <laughs> but, about you. <laughs> yeah. So this is called, uh, I called it the Baby Shower Brazilian. Yeah, yeah, that's it, that's it, yeah. Right. This, this was a long time ago, I don't know, maybe 15, maybe even 20 years ago, I, um... Baby my, shower Brazilian, yeah, that's my, great. My shop, my, I'm, my shop's in an industrial park, and the, the guy who has the uh, space next to me, he's also a woodworker, and uh, he was having a, a baby shower for his expecting, expanding family. And anyway, so I went to this baby shower and i'm I'm just talking to this guy uh, at the baby shower, and yeah you know, he's asking me what I did and I kind of told him and hes so oh, yeah you know my mom was an artist oh that's cool what kind of stuff and she goes well she she did art and then she made her paintings and then she made her own frames and uh, and he goes and in fact, um, when I was a kid uh, you know, back in the 1940s, I remember pulling up to the, the lower docks in uh, at the tip of, of Manhattan. And, and my dad and I, we'd open up the station wagon and they'd load in these, these big beams of dark wood. And, uh, and, he, and he goes, and I've been, my mom died a long time ago, and I've been dragging around this piece of, I guess it's rosewood for, you know, the last 40 years. And, you know, light bulbs are going off in my head. But I said, oh, well, you know, if you'd like to know what it is, like, maybe I could, I'd, I'd be happy to take a look at it and let you know if it is rosewood and maybe what kind it is. And uh, so anyway, uh, he, next week I got a call and he came by the shop and it was this, uh, you know, beautiful four foot tall, inch and a half thick slab. Of uh, Brazilian rosewood that just has some of the most outrageous uh, colors. It looks—it literally looks like it's on fire. And um, yeah, I, I'm excited to uh, do that commission through the through the North American guitar. So it's going to be a, a nice guitar.
0: Oh man, me too. And we've just got into this habit now, actually, which is which is fantastic of um, creating these sort of build thread documentaries for our customers. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, we just sent one out uh, for a, a double commission that we got with a customer yeah. working on at the moment. Yes, um, and uh, I was going to ask how that build is going, but it's it's nice to sort of be able to document it throughout the whole process.
1: Yeah. But well, I think it's great that you're doing that. Uh, I've th- that's actually um, something I do something similar for all my customers, and then I set up a private online, you know, photo album that I update every week. Um, but, like like know, a Flickr account kind of thing. Uh, yes, yeah. I'm, you know, I use Google Photos to, for whatever, it seems to work for me. Yeah. But uh, the, the point is, is that I think it's, well, I think one of the really important things about ordering a custom guitar is the experience. I mean, let, let's face it, let's be honest here, Ben, you know, anybody who's got, say, 5,000 bucks, I would say you can go out and you can have a very nice guitar tomorrow. 100%. You know, San- Santa Cruz, Collings, Bourgeois, they are making great guitars, Froggy Bottom. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah. Anominal. yeah. And, and if you want a, a very nice guitar, you can have one tomorrow. Uh, but... If you want something that's unique to you and that you actually get to watch it being built and partake in the design um, then that's where I think the custom builder uh, really that that's kind of in a sense of one of the things that they're selling is the is the experience and the interaction because you're not gonna get that if you just go out and buy a guitar tomorrow, and also
0: it's you as well. It's it's it, the customer is 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 you know is essentially buying into and ordering from you because they respect and admire you, your ethics, your build styles, your tone. That's what it's about. In fact, in fact, the reason why the North American guitar is here is because my father um, ordered a custom guitar. From Brent McElroy. Mm-hmm. And it was, and I'll never forget that I got a phone call from him saying, Oh, I tried to buy this guitar and I ended up speaking to Brent and uh, and um, he sent me a picture of the log that it's going to be. Yeah.
1: yeah. And then,
0: and we together followed it. And this is back in 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. We followed it together, you know. And, uh, and, and I think that there's suddenly when you see it growing and it, and that 's what's great about social media now I guess is that builders can update and let the world know what they 're doing and how, how it's going um, but it it is it is such a personal and incredible journey to be a part of that you know and if for us as sort of a conduit or a, the, the, the kind of middleman um is it's really humbling you know i've had times where i've handed a customer an instrument after we've been on this journey together and, they, and they've been in tears hmm. it's, a, it's been a dream
1: well, for good reasons
0: yeah and then they said get out of the room <laughs> no, <laughs> right? no you know but no, purely because you know, for it, you know you you go on this journey together uh all three of us if it's you know ordering through mm-hmm. or guitar and um yeah it's it, for us it's such a humbling experience and I, and I know i throw that i do chuck that word around quite a lot but it really is you know,
1: yeah yeah
0: you, you know, for us to to see what you guys do and the reaction yeah. you get, get from customers is, is is incredible
1: well you know from the from the builder's perspective uh you know i i get orders through the north american guitar uh, i also get direct orders But, you know, one of the things that's nice about having that kind of mix is that you have expanded my customer base. Like the commissions that I now have uh, uh, currently with TNAG, you know, honestly, I'm not sure that those orders would have come my way, you know, because they were your customers first. And so, I appreciate it. Do you know, Michael,
0: you you have no idea how much I appreciate you saying that
1: well it's you know i mean let's face it we are there's hopefully there's a, a synergy between the builder and the dealer where you know it's good for you it's good for the builder it's good for the customer um and uh yeah it it, it all works so and you know we 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 got to hang
0: out in london briefly which was a, which is a great which is a great yeah.
1: so I got to tell you that was a that yeah. was a fantastic trip. I I think about that uh, probably too much because uh, we met, my wife and I had such a great time. Oh, it was wonderful. In London and the U.K. and we went over to Paris, and uh, I was really looking forward to getting back to Europe. Um, but unfortunately, the Berlin show was was canceled for safe. reasons that we all know of. But uh, yeah, I I'm very fond of. Uh, of England, um, mostly for comedy reasons. So you guys, you guys know how to do comedy. <laughs> well, you, yeah. you, it's good you just love the dry wit. You love the dry wit. I, I love the dry wit, and uh, I love the the dry weather too. <laughs> yeah, you got that going on. Um, <laughs> well, ne-
0: well, next time, next time.
1: Yeah, it is very very
0: undry. I can tell you that one Okay. Well, well, next time you uh, you come, I, I, I come over. I would love you to come and stay. At, our house, as long as you don't mind two young children running around. Um, I'm trying to slowly but surely. My son Dougie is obsessed with the guitar, which is just uh, what I want. You know, I'm hoping that he's going to be shredding by the time he's six years old. So. Yes,
1: yes. Uh, start him young, start him young. Um, <laughs> and then we're
0: going to give him a little
1: bench and be like, right, let's yeah. get
0: you working now.
1: There you go. <laughs> well, I'd uh, I'd love to visit again. I'd love to see the new showroom. I've seen pictures; it looks beautiful. Yeah and so yeah well so
0: and so just just to finish up you know thanks mm-hmm. for taking the time of to course. chat with us um we have got some really exciting builds uh, in play at the moment obviously we're documenting we're going to be you know releasing those out uh, in newsletters in fact we're going to do that tomorrow uh, we're going to do a you're going to feature in on be the main feature in our newsletter tomorrow with this podcast but also with we've got a beautiful pre-owned um, OM in Cadillacs that's 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 in at the moment, and we're going to talk about uh, that guitar as well as um, the builds that you've got in play at the moment. So We're
1: going to give you to, to the top of the top of the newsletter. Great. All right, I'm I'm going to uh, go back to answer your earlier question. Yeah, I was going
0: to say I, as I was saying yeah. that you didn't yeah. we didn't finish it, didn't we? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Actually. Um, I'm not 100% sure of the pronunciation. I call it cataloch, but it could be catalox.
0: No, well, I'm sure I'm butchering it. If anybody's butchering it, it's probably me.
1: All right. Well, we'll, we'll butcher it together. But um, you asked me about a wood, an alternative tone wood that I felt had the properties of a more traditional tone wood, and you know, for me, the uh, the is one that I feel like it's a solid, solid rosewood tone. You know, physically, it has all the properties. Uh, it's kind of, in, it, in terms of weight, it could even get a little bit close to African blackwood. And I, I think it makes a wonderful, wonderful guitar. And um, it's, not, it's not a true rosewood. There's some different common names for it. One is Mexican royal ebony, which will kind of give you an idea of some of its properties. But yeah, it's a, it's a really nice tone wood, and I, I look forward to uh, building more guitars out of it.
0: It, it really is a beautiful tonewood. wood. And I remember when and we we were kind of experimenting a little bit well, I see I was experimenting we we talked about it was during the the issue when we had when we weren't able to be shipping um, you know rosewoods mm-hmm. and um I remember you talking about uh Cadillacs i'm gonna go- i'm gonna go that way you go your way sure. <laughs> <laughs> stay true to it yeah. um, but um and, I, and, and it does have a lot, and the African black thing, now you said that, that kind of, yeah, I, I, I can see that. Definitely loads of um, uh, rosewood attributes and, and a lovely kind of huey, there's almost like a huey light grayish to it as well within the brown, which I find is yeah. really, really gorgeous. Like a very different coloring and tonally very, uh, very bright, actually, mm-hmm. very bright indeed.
1: Yeah, agreed. It's it's uh, and right now, it's you can get uh, really nice sets of catalogues, very well quartered. So, I'm looking forward to the. I'm looking forward. Also, oh, that's our
0: online chat. Someone asking a question. Forgive me for that being on.
1: Sure. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, got two more questions. Yeah. No, three more. Three more questions. All right. Right. I'm not going anywhere. You know? <laughs> I'm not about to catch a plane. So. You're fine. Right. Did you ever think that when you
0: set off on the journey of your podcast that it would go on to be sort of as successful as it has become and it's in it how now it is it is like the main within our world the main podcast mm-hmm. that everybody is on. I mean it, when you when you're featured on it it's a big deal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh... No, because when I, I started the podcast, or I, I should say I was actually thinking about starting the podcast. I, I thought about it for about two years before I did anything about it. Um, I was just gonna throw it up on iTunes. You know, I, The whole um, uh, wor- working with the fretboard journal on the podcast was complete serendipity. Ne- I never, never thought of pursuing that, never thought that would happen. Uh, it just kind of happened, you know. I ran into Jason at the Nam Show, and we just started talking. So, but I'm I'm really happy that it did. Um, you know, that a lot of builders listened to it. I've I've gotten some really nice feedback. Um, I I mean, I have my own views about what I want the podcast to be, and. I really didn't want it to be a nuts and bolts how-to type podcast. I'd, I'd like there to be, you know, some of that. But the reason I do it is that it's not about the guitars; it's about the person behind the guitars. And you know, I I'll go out on a limb here and say, you know, I know how to build a guitar, but so I, I don't want to ask those types of questions. I want to know more just about them as a person and because for me you know building guitars it was a pretty circuitous journey and um i i love to hear other people's stories about you know how they got there and and the successes that they've had and uh you know i like to think about it as um i never wanted it to be about uh, like me or my guitars i'm really trying to uh showcase the person that i'm interviewing And so my, my, my podcasting philosophy is, is to uh, say as little as possible. So just kind of try and be the the catalyst that lets them start talking. And, you know, I never, my first few podcasts, I was pretty nervous about it and I had a list of questions and, and now I, I don't do, I don't do any of that. I, I try and just have one initial question and then just see where it goes and, you know, sometimes we talk a lot about guitars, and sometimes we don't talk about guitars that much. So, and and I've been I've been both, uh, let's say, uh, uh, lauded and criticized for it. Like, you know, you don't. I'm not interested in in the non-guitar talk, and uh, and vice versa. So, well, finally, uh, one, one of the, I just just one more thought about that. One of the things that's really cool about it is that, from my perspective, is that. I actually wanted it to be like a general human interest type podcast. I realize that it's too specialized and geeky for that kind of thing. But I have a friend uh, or a guy I knew actually uh, from here in the States. And he's he lives in the UK now where he's originally from. And he doesn't know anything about guitars. And he, uh, I got an email from him recently and he told me he... As he loves the podcast. He's listened to everyone. He goes, I didn't. I didn't even know what a CNC is. I don't know what you guys are talking about half the time, but I. I just love the, uh, you know, the, the stories that your guests have, and um, you know, creativity and um, you know, passion. The, those are all universal values, whether they're guitar related or not. So, yeah. You know. uh, yeah, absolutely. And you have got. Uh,
0: you are a fantastic interviewer because you oh, you. you have this ability to um, a to let the person do the talking, which is obviously key. But also, um, there is a there's an underlying warmth and humour to. Obviously, it's very serious topics that you're talking about, but there's a there's a there's a connection between you and the person you're interviewing. Um, I personally loved the one you did with Chris Jenkins. I thought that was. That was one of my favourites, but I also really loved the one that you did with Paul from Dream, uh-huh. and I, um, as well as I mean, I could name more love the one you did with Irvin. I'm just about to listen to the one you've done with Mike, you know. But I, I loved how, and I messaged Paul after I'd um, listened to it, just saying, "What a beautiful podcast!" Because it was, you got such an insight to him as a person and what he's doing as you know, with his yoga and and combining that with with his love of the the guitar and yeah, I I think that you've really hit the nail on the head, which is quite a challenging thing to do when, as you said before, some people are just gonna wanna hear all about guitars and very little about the person behind it.
1: Hmm. But I
0: think that in what we, I say what we do, what you do that we're lucky to be a part of is, um, is so much about the personality behind the guitars and that's what makes the guitars so special and it's um yeah it's a it's a it's it's really well crafted even though you don't craft it if that makes any sense the podcast
1: uh, well thank you i appreciate that i and uh, you've got a great
0: interviewer voice man i mean that was the thing that uh, having okay. known you as only years, the interview uh, intro because i when i we started doing these podcasts mm-hmm. it's basically as you can see we are on a zoom call and it's nice it's great that we get to see each other yeah, uh, And then I go and do the intro and I just do it on my phone. And I'm just mm. like, hello, welcome to the North American Podcast. But I listened to a bunch of yours before I even thought of doing an intro. And your intros are so punchy.
1: Well, uh, I try and get right down to business, so to speak. You know, I mean, it's important to mention a couple things. Hello, you know, welcome. Sponsored by and i give a shout out to paul at at dream guitars for uh being a a sponsor of the podcast Um, and the support from the fretboard journal um but you know when i listen to a podcast and i listen to a lot of them you know sometimes you kind of just want to you want to get into it especially if it's an interview and i don't want to listen to you know a five minute commercial or well, this week I, um, you know, I got a new chisel or whatever. I mean, some people might like that, but I figured, uh, yeah, I just, I just want to get into it, you know, and and uh, don't, don't hold back. So I like that. Just even the way the music is mixed in, that there's a certain um, kind of ka-chunk on the mandolin, and uh, it's kind of like a drop beat in a, uh, in a rave, if you will. All right, I'm going out on a limb there, but. Uh, yeah, just, and, and I always try and hit, you know, hit the name first, and yeah, develop, I guess, a little bit of a, a style to the podcast, so that when somebody hears the intro intro music, you know, they can kind of settle in, and, and they know what's coming, yeah, so I've had some, I, I don't know really anything about audio and mixing, and so there there's a learning curve, and I've had some Some real challenges with some of the episodes where I didn't really have the right type of mics. And, uh, you know, I just had to totally twist myself in knots trying to uh, edit the podcast correctly and reduce noise. And especially because up until now, up until COVID, I really focused on doing only in person interviews because I only do one a month. And my thought was uh, in person interviews are always better. So it, yes, it's going to limit who I interview, but you know, I do enough guitar shows and travel enough where I can, I can keep it going. And so I, yeah, I wanted to make it as good as I can be. And, but at the NAMM show, especially, uh, you know, it's like literally trying to record inside a casino that has a rock (laughs) concert going on at the same time. And I felt like I was being picked on for a while because, you know, it seemed like where, where wherever I was, you know, there'd always be about 10 people around me who were um, hard of hearing and trying to carry on a conversation with bad cell phone reception at the same time. So it's been, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get some new mics, uh, some that are a little bit more focused and uh, try and make the audio as, as good as I can because I've, a couple episodes, I you know, I, I cringed a little bit at the audio quality.
0: I wouldn't worry about that, man, it's the content my fault. It's the content that's being created that is, uh, is the thing. I, I don't really get my, we have an expression here, Nick is in the twist, I don't know if you have it in the US, but about things like that. Like, if the content is really good and it's a great interview, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. if there's a bit of noise, but but it, I, I I get it, if it was a consistent thing, yeah, I understand. Um, okay, last question. Yes. You have one guitar that you're allowed to take on a desert island. Oh. And, and I only just wrote this down. I mean, I, I like yeah. you, I, I start off with two or three questions. Okay. Once you talk, I remember things. So All I write right. them down and I just remember to ask you that.
1: Okay. So is this a guitar that I've played in the past or doesn't exist yet?
0: Oh, wow. Um, either. You are only out one, and it could be something that you are building, or it could be something that somebody else is building, or it could be something from the past.
1: Okay. I am going to say it's a guitar that I have not played or built yet. The reason being is that uh, I am always interested in the next guitar, the guitar that I haven't made yet. Um, so if this allows me to build one more guitar, then, then I would take that opportunity. Uh, for me personally, I would, I would build myself a, um, uh, probably an, an OM or JM model. I would, it would have a, um, Italian Alpine spruce top with Brazilian rosewood back and sides, and the aesthetics of it would be, uh, you know, not nothing too fancy. No pearl. Celebrate the woods. Maybe a little bit of, of wood line inlay, and uh, and that and that be it. So, um, I'm going to ask that guitar? Can we? Can I just commission you to build that guitar now? so we sure. can Deliver that. Deliver that in a couple of years' time. You got it. So I'm, I'm going to uh, ask you the same question. Oh no, um, you can't do that. No, this is the joy. No, you don't, you don't have to name the interviewer. Don't, don't name names. Just, just talk about the, uh, the guitar that you would want to take to a desert island.
0: Well, it's very hard when you are spoiled mm. beyond belief um, yes. uh, mm. on both the acoustic and the electric side of things. Not that I would ever say that I'm a great acoustic or electric player, but I do, I am obsessed with them. Um, I've just literally played and it's just left the showroom. It was the guy that was in here a second ago that was causing me to be late getting on the call. Um, And it was a 1966 D28. And I'm not really a vintage guy but there was something about this guitar that it's the first time I actually thought to myself, I would actually like to buy this guitar before this person could <laughs> get to it.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but uh, so right now how I'm feeling at this precise moment in time, it would be that. Okay. But having said that, tomorrow when I play something else, it's probably <laughs> gonna be that, so. Uh...
1: Well, we're, we're talking right now and that that is the power of, uh of guitars and the musical experience is that you know some guitars they just stick with you.
0: Oh man I, I stick God.
1: with you. Yeah. There
0: was there was this it was like a nineteen ninety eight Santa Cruz F Indian Rosewood Sitka I mean no frills
1: mm-hmm.
0: been beaten to hell and um we obviously do a lot of pre-owned selling and uh, this really lovely lady had brought it in. And, you know, as you know, we are incredibly fortunate to play some incredible, incredible instruments. And I hadn't picked this thing up and I, and I happened to pick it up and I played it for five minutes and I was like, God, this, I just and I just didn't want to put it down. And it's amazing how in that moment in time, and that's what I love. And I, and I, again, you know, not just because we're doing a podcast, but I had it with that OM, that maple OM of yours. And I do love OMs. But that, that you know, at that moment in time you play and you're like, wow, this is like transcending. I did not think that it might, it, it, this doesn't feel, I didn't think it was going to do this. And because when that, when that happens, it then makes it even more of a, experience when you're playing and we can all we all throw around the buzzwords that we all know and love. Sure. So true. Internally when Mm you internally play something and there's something that goes on inside of you that makes you go I won't swear but this is beeping amazing you know. Yeah. That that is that
1: is an incredible thing. It is and I uh, a good sign for me always when I I know I've played a great guitar is not actually while I'm playing it but maybe you know later that night or the next day I still feel like I you know I'm experiencing the guitar you can still even, hear it yeah even afterwards exactly you can still yeah one guitar for me that I'll never forget and I I would never want to play it again because it might not be yes this, you know yeah is uh I played a it was a mid thirties gibson l double um, o and it was poorly constructed uh it had almost no you know aesthetically it was in very poor condition um, most of the finish if whatever finish was left seemed like if it was in a strong wind it would blow off <laughs> but uh, boy this guitar just you know it had it had everything, power, a lot of power, and clarity. It was really nice.
0: And and, and it's, in its um, whether it is a new commission-built instrument or whether it is a nineteen thirty-three L double It's amazing how that can inspire, a, and that's a you know, God, we can get super deep here, but how it inspires an individual in a different way. And that's the magical thing about this is that an instrument played by me will inspire me in a totally different way as if it was played by you. And it might not inspire you, but it might super inspire me. And I I think that to take as a, from a builder's perspective, to take what a customer is wanting from an instrument um, and to, you know, to create that, listening to their tonal goals and how you, understand it and then bundle it all up and then deliver it in this aesthetically beautiful thing man that is an incredible thing to be able to do and it must be an incredibly scary thing to do because i can only imagine you know on a very different level when i used to write music mm-hmm. and heard it for the first time i'd literally be like my toes would be like you know that because you think oh god they hate it i sound terrible or it's it's mm-hmm. this, that. So to see someone playing it and falling in love with it that must be an incredible experience
1: yeah yeah and also a uh (laughs) there's a little bit of a sense of relief too yeah you know because it's it's not always a given you know there's there's unknowns that you're dealing with in in guitar construction and people and you know a lot has to come together just right for everybody to be uh, you know, felt like it was a home run.
0: Man, thank you so much for stopping in and taking the time to talk to me today.
1: Thank you, Ben. I appreciate it. Uh, it's good to see you, and I wish the uh, best to you and your family. It
0: is uh, well best to you and your wonderful family as well. And it's um, yeah, just keep keep doing what you're doing, Michael, because you are you are a true inspiration and such a key figure in our. Are part of the industry. The podcasts are amazing. Your guitars are even better, and uh, we are very, very proud to represent you. And I can't wait to build that that guitar, your dream guitar. Right.
1: <laughs> All right, we'll do it. But I might not want to sell it to you.
0: <laughs> Isn't it? Have a great day. Stay safe, and uh, I'm sure I'll speak to you in the next couple of weeks.
1: All right. Take care, Ben. Bye, bye. Thank you.